Let's do it. Should we clap? Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. One, two, three. And welcome to uh, an episode of the Self-Centered Woman podcast, our first episode. And this episode of the Self-Centered Woman podcast is brought to you by Lily Nutrition. Head on over to www.lilynutrition.com and enter the promo code SELFCENTERED for 20% off any item right now while supplies last. Mm. That's L-Y-L-I Nutrition, lilynutrition.com. Live your life intentionally. Oh, I like that. Ooh, yeah. Okay. Okay, today we are with Cassandra. Hi. Brooke Molay who is also my kundalini teacher extraordinaire. And Cassandra is on our show today because, um, first of all, she is such an example of how to live a self-centered life based on the four seeds of self-care, which are eating well, sleeping well, meditation, slash prayer, and exercise. Mm -hmm. And as a kundalini teacher, I'm sure you'll be able to share your journey of um, self-care. Mm-hmm. And um, talk a little bit about how we know each other, first of all. Okay. You want me to jump in there? Yeah. Okay. Hi, everybody. So excited to be here. Thank you, Rachel. I really, I feel very um, special that you chose me to be your first guest when you asked me. I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, cool. Yeah. Very exciting. Um, Rachel and I, so I guess we met in 2011 when I was pregnant with my first child. Um, I found Rachel because I wanted to have a home birth. So yeah, that's when we met. And, and some of m- people don't even know that I am a home birth okay, midwife she is a home birth midwife. by day, <laughs> or I should say by night. I'm a home birth midwife by night and a podcast extraordinaire by day. Yes. So you have lots of creativity in your life. You have a lot of your profession is creativity your passion is creativity um yeah so that's how we met and we went through that journey and I had my first son at home and um we just continued a friendship from there I remember our last appointment after he was born and we came into the office do you remember this Mm -mm. (laughs) you always say that she always says do you remember this and I don't don't. but lots of people say that I don't remember anything unless it's written down in my planner you remember my kids' birthdays. I, d- I had it written down in yeah. the planner, and I still missed it. <laughs> By one day. <laughs> um, so, I okay, when I was pregnant, I was wearing these shoes. Do you that you have on shoes? right now? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you got them for me. And I yes. got you the same one, just a different <laughs> color. Yeah. Um, what were those shoes? I don't remember. Like, shout out to that They were brand, so comfortable. It was super um, earth-friendly and all the things. Yeah. Uh, organic, fair trade. So, anyway. They were super hippy-dippy, and I even liked them. Yes, you did. <laughs> and I was more of a hippy-dippy back then, I would say, than now, but um, just a little different. But... I gave you those shoes. That was like my gratitude towards you. I was like, I Thank loved you. them. And I especially loved them because you remembered yes. that I said how much I loved them. And yes. isn't that what's so special about creating connections with people is that we remember what people like and what would make them feel good and try to honor them in that way. And that's what you did. Yeah. And it worked. You're exactly right. Yeah. So I remember you were kind of like, but I want to be friends or something like that. Something happened. And so we became friends and we kept in connection. Um, and then 
you know, when I had my second son, obviously, so we were friends. So I just came to you and went through that whole process again. Yeah. Um, did you hear that noise? Yes. What do you think it is? I don't know. Hmm. D- do you think it could be your phone? No. Do you want me to check? Let me check and see if my okay. This is a little interlude here. We're just well, going it's to. Like everything can be so this is the first recording of a podcast for Rachel. So we are just getting the technology all the way together and on point. Okay. Making sure is everything okay. Mm-hmm. All right. It seems like it. I don't know what the hell that noise was. So okay. hopefully it's good. <laughs> okay. Everything's still plugged in over there. Everything's plugged okay, in. Okay. Good. Okay. Go. Good. Okay. So. So that's how we met. That's how we met. Through home birth midwifery. And I remember just really liking you off the bat. But you should also tell the story that you actually didn't choose me to do your birth. I have a partner and she really envisioned uh, my partner being her midwife. Yes. So um, Rachel has a partner who's older and I guess who has been a home birth midwife for many, many, many years. And I I really connected with her vibe. She's like super earthy. Yeah. Very kapha energy, like just very grounded. And something about that I really connected with. So when I was envisioning my birth, I thought like, wow, I really hope that she is my midwife. But I knew it could be either one of you. However, my late husband really liked you and really connected with you. You guys are both very pitta anyways, energy. Um in the Ayurvedic sense, if you you don't know what that is, but um, <laughs> can, it means you're pissed off all the time, <laughs> and you need no. to figure out a way to blow off some steam, and that's where Cassandra comes <laughs> in with true. the Kundalini yoga. It's funny because so many of my Kundalini yoga clients, which we should mention what that is, but are pittas. Yeah, very driven, very strong-willed, strong-minded. Um, Driven is the word. Driven Because who else would choose that kind mm. of breathing? Yeah, it's really. intense. It's really kundalini is about, you know, tapping into the energy that you have within yourself and bringing it forth and forward. And people who are pittas. Um, can I interject please. too? Because this stuff can all be edited. And so when we're talking about... Um, bringing that forward through kundalini it's something that we also really connect with when we're talking typically because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. basically the imagery of kundalini is that of the serpent right Right. being fully erect on along the spine and so when I say be self-centered that's our thing that's our thing because yeah. it's like the snake is right on point. Absolutely. When you text me that, I know that you have got it all the way together. Yeah. Like, that's like how I my that. shit is strong for the day if <laughs> I'm using multiple S's in a word. You are aware. You yeah. are present. Yeah. You are on purpose, on point. Um, But really, I, I think in general what I do when I connect with people, not just my clients, but like my friends, my children, my family members, people, all people that I come into contact with um, is to sort of allow the process of them to, it's like I'm mirroring them. And that's really what I um, think that I'm good at mm-hmm. because I'm not really doing anything except for mirroring what is in them 
and they can see that reflection and they can really see that and they can pull that out from inside of them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's total sense. And it's just um, a different uh, avenue that you work with through yoga and through right. movement, mm-hmm. through that four seeds of self-care versus mm-hmm. where I am doing full scope coaching. Right. And I'm not doing anything. (laughs) I'm just facilitating people to uncover and realize their own stuff and realize where they have the opportunity and find their growth edge. Totally. Mm -hmm. Yes. I found a very steep growth edge with you when we worked, uh, when we did the one year women's group. Yes. And then when we did, really, it was I mean, of course, that one, that women's group and going through that journey for an entire year with the same group of women is very powerful because you're getting to know these women and, you know, what works for them and what doesn't. And you're just going along that journey with them. But then the private one-on-ones with you, I know this sounds like a sell, but I tell everybody this. It's so true. I was really able to connect with things. And I consider myself a person who is constantly working on myself just as aware as I can possibly be about being my best self and really finding my joy and living happiness not trying to find it but it's already here and you helped me mirror and uncover that in a part of my life that I was really struggling in Mm -hmm. like I saw all the other parts of my life were in alignment Mm -hmm. there was one area that I was really struggling in and so you helped me to really tap into my voice my throat chakra which we love to talk about um so thank you yes you're welcome (laughs) and thank you for allowing that because it's just like yeah uh, even in birth you know Mm -hmm. I can only help so much I know um without the other person being a willing participant yeah right yeah we Um, get in our own way a lot yeah so my pleasure I'm glad I could thank you um so Cassandra and I have had a longtime friendship yes. and the two boys are very special boys and Matt also very special. Yes. And I didn't finish that story, which was that my late husband really connected with you and loved you so much. And he was like, God, I hope Rachel is there at the birth. And so I think he texted you first to say that I was having contractions and, um, he was like, okay, Rachel's coming. And I was like thinking, oh, shit. Like, it wasn't that. <laughs> I don't think I ever told you that. <laughs> That's and, okay. But, I welcome that. But uh, anyone who's ever been in labor. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> you didn't know what you were getting. Uh, I know. Uh, but it was only kind of like a fleeting thought. And it didn't stick with me because if you've been in labor, you know you are very much in the present moment. It's primal. Yeah, you can't really think about it's it. You're like, like somebody better get their ass somebody here. somebody get here <laughs> anybody. other than my husband delivering this baby. Which you know? is another thing that's so great, just talking about birth and how much that's related because mm-hmm. it's really not the attendant right. at all. No. You know, you, you're perfectly designed to do this and you yes. could do, we tell people you could do it all by yourself. You just shouldn't have to because everybody wants to have that person. You know, what is that quote? We're all walking each other home and that's true through birth mm-hmm. and through life. Right. Uh, and through death. Yes. Yes. And we can talk a lot about that too. And, you know, in yoga, Shavasan or corpse pose at the end of every practice and really the true meaning or purpose of that posture is to prepare us for death. 
<clears throat> which is so interesting. I remember when I first heard that, I thought like, oh my goodness. But, you know, through the journey I've been on, becoming very intimate with death and the acceptance of that, um, it almost seems like people shy away from it so much in our culture, death, embracing death, talking about death, the thought of death. And in so many other cultures around the world, they talk about it, they celebrate it. Um, and it really prepares you mind, body and soul for the inevitable. You know, that's the one thing we all have in common. It's the realest, realest thing. It is the yes. truest thing. The is truest that thing. It will happen. And so it is quite confusing to see mm -hmm. how little we are able to cope with that. Yes. And I think, you know, because talking about it in our culture is shied away from and hushed a little bit, um, it doesn't allow especially children to embrace the idea and to understand it. Mm -hmm. I know before my husband passed away, I, 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 my mother had passed away five years prior. So I had had, you know, an intimate death. However, you're very aware that your parents will pass away before you or so you think, right? Yeah. So that is more of kind of like a normal way of things happening. And then when your partner passes away, and he was two years younger than me even, it's so shocking. It's a different, it's a different thing. It's a whole different ball game kind of. But um, you're not prepared for that because it's not talked about. Yeah. And there are few people who've lost spouses at a younger age. So you just don't see it. Fewer people, right? Right. Can you just tell us about that day? Mm. I will try. Um, so at the time, uh, so my late husband was Matt. So Matt was, he left the house very early. He was going back to school and he was going to school before work. So I was a stay at home mom. Um, my children, my children were five and one, and he left that morning. And once we got up, we FaceTimed him. So I remember he was on his motorcycle sitting in the parking lot at the school, and he FaceTimed us. The kids were laying in the bed with me, just kind of like goofing around, and um. It's, it's so weird to go back to that moment because it feels like it was yesterday. But we were just talking to him on FaceTime. And I think the kids were kind of like starting to fight a little bit with each other or roughhousing. So I was like, okay, bye, like have a good day. So he at that point left from school and was on his motorcycle going to work. And so he must have been killed very shortly after that phone call because he didn't have a very long distance to go. Um, and so my kids were out on the back porch. We had this big water table. They were not dressed. They were like using it as a hot tub because I remember it was um, in the fall. And so I had a knock at the door. I went to the door and it was a police officer. And I was like, oh my gosh, hi, like, hello. 
And the police officer asked me if I knew my husband, that he said his name. And I said, yes. And he said, please tell me you're his roommate. I was like, no. Like, that's so weird. Why would he say that? And he said, "Um, you need to go to the hospital. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you need to go to the hospital. I was like, okay. I kind of was looking around. My kids are naked running around the house. Um, So he was like, what can I do to help? And I was like, which hospital? And he said, I'm going to get you the address. So got my kids dressed, hopped, you know, he gave me the address. I got in the car. I called my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my sister, and I told them I was going to the hospital. Something happened to Matt. And so, but the officer didn't tell me. He just said, you need to go to the hospital. So I sort of thought maybe he was paralyzed. I thought maybe it was like a severe injury. Um, I never thought that he died, which he did. He was um, killed on impact. He was hit by a truck from behind. Um, So he didn't see it coming. Um, So long story short, because I guess this could take hours to tell, but I went to the hospital. I had to wait for 45 minutes at the ER. I had my kids. Finally, a nice lady that I was talking to was like, I'm going to go ask about your husband. And she went up there and was talking to the nurses. Um, and at that point, two chaplains walked towards me. And I was like, no, no, no. And I was kind of backing away. They took me into a small room. They still didn't tell me what happened. I was in that room for like maybe 30 minutes oh or so. God. I know. And so finally, because the nurse was like, do your kids want popsicles? I don't... I. What is that process? Like, do you know, (laughs) looking back, like, is that their process? I feel like the doctor must have been, because it was an emergency room, involved with helping other people. That's the only thing I can think. So finally, I said to the nurse, I was like, I'm sick to my stomach. I can't do this anymore. Like, my mother-in-law is calling me. My father-in-law, my sister, they're like, what's happening? I didn't know. Um, And so the doctor came in and he sat down across from me and he said, there are children in this room. I have something to tell you. I don't think they should be in here. I said, tell me right now. And he said, your husband is dead. And he was hit his, he kind of gave me some technical explanation. My oldest son who was five at the time just started screaming and wailing. And I was very stunned. I was just completely shocked I had my younger son who was a baby in my arms and I was just very shocked. And they, he left, he asked me if I wanted to see him, his body. And the doctor left very quickly. Um, They then brought me a box of, he was wearing a backpack, like the contents of the backpack and the backpack, which was basically like pieces of broken, did you see the lights flash just then? Mm pieces of broken like laptop and um just shredded things in a box which was I I don't think I opened that box for two years three years until after he passed when I moved actually because I didn't want to look at that but um my sister you know I had the nurse call my mother-in-law because I couldn't speak to her and my father-in-law and my sister came to the hospital they wouldn't let me leave without someone 
So my sister came and we drove to my house and my kids and I laid in the bed for the rest of the day. My sister started calling some people and just began that process, my friends. And um, so, yeah, that was the hardest day of my life, I would say, for sure. I think often about how I found out. Which is how. I don't recall. And And that's something that I was wondering if you would be interested in. You know, I see that sometimes in grief, like gathering as much information, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. is sometimes a helpful or cathartic thing in certain instances. But um, I was at a birth. Oh, you were? Mm hmm. And the baby had been born. Well, that's right. And it was your sister calling. Mm. And I, and she called again. Mm hmm. Because I didn't answer at first, you know, and then she called. Well, first, I thought it was you because it was from because my phone. in my phone, no, it wasn't from your phone, but I have your names oh. kind of together yeah. in my contact. Yeah. So okay. like Cassandra's sister, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. that. So I just saw your name mm-hmm. and missed call. And I'm like, well, I'll call her back. And then the second time I saw, oh, that's her sister. Like what? And I called her back right then at the birth. Yeah. And she just said that Matt died. And just the words from hearing the words to feeling the reality, you know, Mm -hmm. which is just like this not even begin to go there with what it is for you but you know when things are real Mm -hmm. and it just there's nothing you can do about it this complete you know unfolding unfolding and like again 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 hitting you in the face you know I told the people I have to go you know I gotta go they were taken care of it was it was time but yeah and then um another thing I actually had a tennis match the day of his funeral. Yeah. And I was in a third set and I was going to be late <laughs> and I forfeited. Oh, you did. Yeah. Oh. I'm like, sorry, <laughs> I got to go. Yeah. Whatever. You yeah. win. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is another cool thing to just put into perspective. Like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. How much doesn't really matter. Right. And I think that that is a conversation that you and I have had a lot. Yes. Just how much d- doesn't matter that we worry ourselves that we um, get preoccupied with in the scheme of the grand scheme the grand scheme totally I'm wondering if there were things um, then or even now you know that you have been surprised about with your own grief Mm. I actually I think when people mirror back myself to me I see a lot of growth and I begin to really embody it and understand it I mean at the time specifically the first nine months were hell I didn't sleep I barely ate I um you know I always say my kids kept me alive I feel because they were so young Mm -hmm. and you just have to keep going when you're a parent 
taking care of a young child. Um, and I have always wanted children and my children have always brought me so much joy that for me, that was just very easy to stay very present with them. You know, when you're with a child, it's so hard to be thinking about the past or the future. You're just very present with them and what's going on. Um, you know, the first month I didn't smile and part of my personality is I'm kind of like loud and all over the place and like always smiling and talking and kind of the annoying one in the room is kind of going on and on or whatever. Um, and so that was completely gone. And I remember I had a fear that that would, I would be a completely different person from now on. Um, I didn't think that that was ever going to come back. And so I just remember having that thought and then on the 30th day after he passed away my younger son was like on a stick or maybe like a kid's broom mm -hmm. and he was riding around the house like like it was a horse and so the three of us did it and that that was the first time that I smiled and I was like oh my gosh it's back like that was the first time I laughed and so I knew that I was going to be able to come through it. Um, and that was kind of like my first little glimmer of hope. Um, and progressively things got better, but it was very difficult. I remember nine months was the point where I saw the light at the end of the tunnel. I was able to sleep and eat and just kind of like, feeling more like my old self again. I knew I was going to be okay. I guess I always knew, but I knew that I was going to really be okay. Um, and that timeline is very different for lots of people. That was just in my experience, my grief, which of course continues on. Um, my older son, so it's been five and a half years since he passed and my older son was up for 30 minutes crying last night because he missed his dad. And, you know, we talk about his dad every day. We have pictures of their dad. And I mean, he's very much alive for us. And, but the grief continues. And, you know, my children had to meet that head on at such a young age. So for them, it's just so real. And, um, it's cool that I can use the yoga or the Buddhism off the mat stuff, which is like the idea of reincarnation, the idea of one consciousness and that, you know, we're all one and that, you know, their dad is watching them and excited for them. They talk about that all the time. Um, it really helps bring a sense of peace to the grieving process for us. What can you say to people who have a loved one who's grieving? How to approach them, in, especially in those early days? Um, for me, the most helpful thing was people who checked on me, whether it be a phone call or a text or in person, um, after about a month or two, people really fall away from checking in on you. You know, they go back to their normal life and they have other things and maybe you're not quite at the forefront of their mind. 
little check-ins are really helpful and not even asking what do you need just being like thinking about you xo or whatever something that simple um people brought me lots of meals um lots of bringing kids over for play dates and trying to coordinate things like that i'm very social so i definitely didn't keep myself in i had some really great neighbors at the time who would just come over um i had lots of people who helped um keep things not stagnant you know lots of being outside in nature i really love that and that really helped my kids and i my sister would come over every single day and just kind of cook us dinner and see what we needed and brought little special things for us and the kids. So, you know, everyone's grieving process is different and I think it's really important to ask the person what they need and realize that that is going to change and to continually ask. And, um, you know, a lot of times just your presence is what is useful so just being there yeah yeah it's interesting to just it's very common that you hear that after you know a month or so that it kind mm-hmm. of falls off with the people coming and and that's not um a poor representation of the people no. right it's right. a it's a representation of reality right that people do have their own lives um, and, and life still goes on. And that's something in any loss, I've always thought, how the hell mm-hmm. can people still be driving down the street? I know. How are you like really arguing with the person at the checkout? You know, don't sure. you know that this person died? I had so I had that for a long time, for a few years. I mean, now my entire perspective, I feel like has changed majorly just about what you mentioned, like, don't sweat the small stuff. I used to sweat small stuff here and there. Now it's kind of like we're healthy, we're alive. And that's a big part of my life. It always has been. And I think it's part of why I really enjoy guiding people in their health and wellness journey because I think that, I know that, well, Yoga has been so important to me in being able to help me see beyond just, you know, this lifetime maybe, or even healing, using the breath, using the present moment, the meditation, the physical body movement really brings you out of your head and all these narratives and stories you're always telling yourself. Um, You know, people are carrying on their day well of course they should be carrying on their day you know you and I are carrying on our day and it's not their time right but guess what their time will come yes we all of our times will come where we will lose a parent Mm -hmm. or god forbid a child or siblings but also we will also die right we all are dying Mm -hmm. and so um while we're in one space, it seems like, how can anybody go on? And then when we can take ourselves out of that, it's like, well, of course, it's the most natural thing in the world. Right. Because that's what we're supposed to do while we are here. That's right. Is to continue to live. And that's really where I want to go 
um, is what has not only helped you to survive, but thrive. And I can remember you saying that there was a time where you would not even get on the yoga mat at first. Yes, there were, I don't remember, it may have been about three months. Um, because yoga for me, I don't know that I realized this before it happened. It's very personal. and I've been practicing since 2001. So it's a habit. It's a pattern. It's something I do every single day. It's something that I'm very in touch with. You know, I don't just do yoga to get like a tight ass or whatever. It's very much about, of course, the physical body movement and exercise, but also the spiritual journey. Um, I don't consider myself a Buddhist, but I am on that path of really like fulfilling and understanding and being part of that journey. Um, so for me, it's much more than the physical body. It's the breath work that comes along with that and what that does for my nervous system. It's the meditation and how the meditation helps my mind relax and I can really become present in this moment. Um, so every time I tried to get on the mat, I was hysterical. And I was really surprised by that. And I couldn't bring myself to get back to it. And I remember every couple days I would try to do yoga and I could not. And I was just kind of like, wow, okay. And then one day I was able to get on the mat and, you know, actually practice yoga and not be hysterical. And I was like, wow wow, there's, there's something about this for me, this connection. And prior to teaching yoga, I was a first grade teacher. And um, I knew I didn't want to go back to teaching in that sense. Um, it's a bit rigid for my liking. But I was like, well, maybe I could, you know, I, I remember that was kind of the beginning of me thinking I could guide people in yoga. You know, I could really help people on their journeys. Um, and I know everyone kind of knows me as a yoga teacher, but it's more than that. I don't really even like being called a teacher because, you know, I'm guiding people in on the mat and off the mat, you know, in their wellness journey, period. Like it encompasses so much. Most of my yoga clients I sit there and talk to for 30 minutes before, and that's actually what they prefer. You know, it's not necessarily the same style of coaching like you, but it is too, you know? I prefer it too, but we don't <laughs> often get the chance because yeah. we're always, you know, having to go Time. do something else. Yes. But I, that's part of why I love it, you mm -hmm. know, to be able to talk about what's going on and but mm -hmm. we haven't been doing much of that lately, but that yeah. is something that's really special to me. Um, and what you talked about just being able to get on your mat mm -hmm. is like, that was the place, you know, where the emotion and everything would really overflow. Mm -hmm. That is also the place, not necessarily somebody's mat, but maybe it's with food mm -hmm. or maybe it's with a relationship, wherever our body kind of bucks up and says, no, I don't mm -hmm. want to go there mm -hmm. yeah. is our proverbial yoga mat. Mm -hmm. And I, um, do you know, carry on warrior? Have you ever read that book by Glennon Doyle Milton? No. Well, anyway, it's a great book. Love it. She talks about 
not being able to do yoga at first and oh. how she just if if nothing else she would just go and make herself sit on the mat I've heard of people doing this before. so I would after I read that book I made that my mantra um just sit on your mat doesn't matter if I was actually doing yoga or doing filling out forms which is something that I hate to do you know yes. just remind just sit on your mat be yes. still yes uh, be still and that's another thing that I wanted to bring up because you bring up Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And, um, of course yoga is often, um, confused as anti-Christian. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, for you sure. know, you have, um, your philosophy, you know, that I am Christian mm -hmm. and I should say what I am is a disciple of Christ mm -hmm. and his virtue and his character. And that has never been in conflict to Correct. me yeah. because even um when we're on the mat it's it's my time to completely surrender to completely worship mm -hmm. and to be grateful for my body being able to do this and mm -hmm. time to be still and have that clarity and so I don't find that there is a conflict at all right. and I'm just wondering if you have ever had that kind of um other people, you know, bringing up that kind of belief. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, it It is oftentimes, I think the word is conflated. Like people think only Buddhists do yoga or if you're doing yoga, you are, well, first of all, Buddha is not worshipped and is not a god. The Buddha who was alive 2,600 years ago was a human being. And he even said, do not worship me. I am not a god. Um, and so I actually ran in, so I teach yoga at a private school two days a week to children who are aged four through 12. And there was actually even an issue last week where, so we do this thing where you're touching your thumb to your fingers and this is the cycle of li life, right? So when I do this, uh, yeah, when I do it specifically with uh, my kundalini friends, it's sa-ta-na-ma. And that's just, you know, the birth, death, rebirth, life cycle. When I do it in schools with children, I don't use that language, the sa-ta-na-ma. We're just touching because there have actually been so many studies done on this and how this prevents Alzheimer's and dementia. Mm. You're creating connections in the, within the brain and, you know, connecting synapses and all these things. So, but a I don't know, maybe a child went and told their parent or showed their parent, or maybe they saw a picture on my Instagram mm. and the child said, I'm not allowed to do this because I don't worship this God. And, um, so obviously there's that confusion. I've had adult clients who are like, I'm Christian. Like is my mom wants to know she was a younger adult um they're very christian and you know that's a big part of their life and she was like who am i worshiping what am i doing like my mom needs to understand this and so you know i always like to know when i'm working with my clients where they are what their spirituality looks like what their religion looks like because I'm open to all things, period, <laughs> you know, so it doesn't 
matter to me. Like I said in the beginning, I'm a mirror. I'm reflecting for you. It's not about me imparting my beliefs onto you. It's about me sharing my experiences and just reflecting back to you your experiences and seeing like what kind of sort of clarity that brings for you. Um, there is a lot, you know, Buddhism is famous for the meditation. And I think that's why it gets conflated because the Buddha meditated and in Buddhism, there's lots of meditation. Um, so maybe that's why there's that confusion. Mm -hmm. Um, however, all people, all races, ages, religions, abilities, um, belief systems are welcome to practice yoga and feel very um, accepted and loved and present. What about the yoga? Mm -hmm. What is it, do you think, that has really been a game changer in your healing process and in the ability to thrive because that mm. is what you are doing you're not just getting by and that's the reason why I wanted to talk to you because it's one thing to lose someone and grieve them I just lost my aunt mm. and she had lost her husband a few years earlier mm -hmm. and when I say she never recovered that's what I mean. Yeah, I've seen that happen. And that's not what's happening here. Right. Not at what's all. the game changer and what sort of hope can you offer? What has been the aha thing or what keeps you going? No pressure. <laughs> yeah, um, because it doesn't matter what your answer is. Right. It's just for you. And again, totally. I really like um, what you said about the Buddha because we should not be worshiping anyone. Right. You shouldn't be worshiping me, right. you, We're all the Kardashians. The yes. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. no, we don't want to, that, what for? Yeah. You're, you're taking away from how special you are. Totally. By doing that. Yeah. Uh, you mean, well, it's been the yoga plus so many other things that has helped me thrive. Um, my mom died from cancer. And in her family, there's so much cancer. And I remember when I be, when my late husband and I were talking about we're ready to have a baby, I would remember I was just thinking like, okay, I need to prime my body to like grow another human being. How do I do this best? That's really where the research began. I had been a vegan since much earlier, but I was like an unhealthy vegan. Like I would still eat Oreos, whatever. Um, now I wouldn't even like dare, <laughs> but I'm so, uh, so not nutrition that again right. has been a huge nutrition, um, really going down that journey of health and wellness with the food, with, you know, supplements, with homeopathic remedies, homeopathic Chinese medicine, um, doctors and herbs and teas and, you know, I coach a lot of people on the nutrition because that seems to be the biggest stickler in our culture is overconsumption of all things, alcohol, drugs, food, um, other beverages. And, you know, the biggest 
part of wisdom I can impart on people is to make it a habit or a pattern. Like how many times have you heard me say that to you? It's all about habits and patterns, you know, making swaps. It's like if you're drinking coffee, maybe trying to drink tea more than coffee, or if you drink soft drinks, swapping it for water. But ultimately the four seeds of self-care, okay, even your sleep, Okay, it's something that is, is a big deal huge. to you. Yeah, and I would say that that was probably the last one to catch on for me. Um, because when I got to the point where I was dating and kind of like going out and I was like, oh my gosh, like what is this world? Like let's do this. I've been a stay-at-home mom. Like what's happening here? And I would be out late and like enjoying myself. Um, however, I would then need to wake up the next morning and be the single parent to two children who needed me, who I wanted to engage with, who I want to be patient and present with. And I couldn't do that because my sleep was off. And I noticed that right before COVID is really when I noticed it because when COVID happened and we're not going out anymore, and then I wasn't drinking any alcohol at all. And I was like, oh, wow, this is a game changer. Um, I was never a big consumer of alcohol, but I would have a drink socially, um, here and there. And even like half of a drink would still affect my sleep. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I heard some podcasts at that time from Dr. Matthew Walker, who has a gorgeous book. It's called why we sleep. Um, and then Dr. Huberman, his podcast, the Huberman lab. Oh my gosh. I'm loving love, that. Love them so oh. much. Oh, you know who else is great? Gosh, the longevity guy. Mm. I always forget his name, but he's phenomenal. I'm going to think about it so I can give him a shout out, but they talk about all of these things, the health and wellness, the sleep specifically, and how that for me was like the final piece of the puzzle that clicked in. You know, I just turned 40 in February. I feel like I'm 21. I always feel like that. Like my body, I have no ailments. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes I do yoga maybe six to eight or nine. One time I did 10 sessions a day. That's a lot for your body. But then I make sure to take care of myself. I'm extra hydrated. I Like my food is pretty much always on point because I'm such a stickler for that. But even more so you know, Epsom salt and baking soda bath, drinking the apple cider vinegar, just making sure on a day when a lot's happening that all of those things are on point. If you could name eat, sleep, meditate, exercise, if you put them in a cycle, which one would you put first or last? I don't think that's possible. I, 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 because in my experience, they all have to be on point for you to function optimally however gosh that's so difficult (laughs) I would say in my experience what most people need to focus the most on is their food their consumption what they're eating what they're not eating vitamins minerals water 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 (laughs) Um, I would probably probably say sleep is next that's huge it's bigger than people can even begin to understand until you experience it. You know, alcohol. It's true. I would say because both of those things, I, it's something, it's a game that I play trying to figure out which one I would put first versus last. And so I like to ask people that question. Mm -hmm. Mine is really like, okay, well we sleep Mm -hmm. and then we wake up and do 
our exercise Mm -hmm. and then nutrition Mm -hmm. and then what's the other one meditation meditation but it's like two of them are active Mm -hmm. and the other ones are passive well Mm -hmm. I mean the nutrition right you know is what I'm saying like the sleep and nutrition would be the more passive Mm -hmm. ones Mm -hmm. but if you don't those are the ones that lead to feeling your best right and so that you can then Yes. Want or even be motivated to do the other two things. Absolutely. And I would love to point one thing out about meditation because it people put it off and put it off and put it off and it scares them to think. I heard on a podcast, I don't remember, just the other day, people could either choose to be alone with their thoughts for 15 minutes oh or to gosh. receive an electric shock. Oh my gosh. 30% of women chose to receive the electric shock and 60% of men. <sighs> I don't have the statistics. I don't know the age group or anything oh like that, gosh. but that's wild, right? It's not only wild, it's really sad. And it is a reflection, I think, of our ability to think critically, mm. our ability to not react Mm. in certain situations, react in certain situations, because if we're not sitting still, it's something that I just posted. We just went to the park, um, on our, on our vacation Mm. and having the space between, yes, between this activity and the next activity. Somebody asked me, how do you do all of these things when you have six kids and you do this and it's the space between Do not go from one thing to the next thing as much as you possibly can. Have that little snippet of time to just breathe. And don't take where you just came from into your next activity. Because then, guess what? They just start layering. All of a sudden, you're hating everything you're doing, resenting everything you're doing. That space between is everything. That's how you come up with the answers to conflict. Mm is how you come up with the way to parent responding versus reacting. Exactly. There's um I'm glad you brought that up. So Eckhart Tolle who wrote The Power of Now mm-hmm. um he talks so much about this and this is big in Buddhism as well is listening to that space in between like finding the space between your breath where it turns around. So inhaling Let's all do this together. Inhaling. Feel that little stop before you exhale. That's the space between. Or if you're listening to like a Chinese flute, which a lot of meditations um, or music has this, listening to that little tiny space that's between the end of a sound and the beginning of a sound. Mm -hmm. And another really beautiful thing to embrace is moving meditation. And this was a game changer for me. So meditation is not just sitting still on a yoga mat, cross-legged. You know, your palms are facing up, whatever. But it can be. Totally. And that's another thing is like we just never want to discount another person's experience if they are doing anything at all to practice it. Totally. Um, That's not our lane. You know, that's their lane I like to talk about. My lane, your lane, and God's lane, or the universe's lane, or insert, you know, your belief system here. That's so not our business. You know, we we jump into somebody and try to judge them. If something's working for them, then that is gorgeous. And sitting in 
quiet and still meditation on your mat and listening to your breath, just being present to your in-breath and your out-breath is powerful. However, you can do it, you know, the second, um, Eckhart Tolle talks about the things in your life that are habits, things that you do every single day. Like every single day you walk up and down the stairs. Every single day you sit down to a meal. Every single day you get into your car. Well, or you sit on public transportation or whatever. You walk, you ride a bicycle. When you are doing those things, being able to be present to your breath and really feel embodied. And feeling embodied means being in the body and out of the mind, really grounding yourself. That's what grounding means. So for example, and we can do it all now, you know, close your eyes, maybe you're sitting, or maybe if you are standing and folding laundry, listening, or whatever you're doing, just take a moment to be still, feel your feet touching the earth, Feel your tush touching the seat or the ground. Listen to the sound of your breath as it's coming in through your nose. And then listen to the sound of your breath as it's coming out through your nose. That process took about, I don't know, 15 or 20 seconds. You can do that as you're going up and down the stairs, feeling your foot as it's touching the stair, inhaling and breathing. Same thing when you get into your car, public transportation. You know, if there's a true emergency and you need to get someone to the hospital, you're not going to sit there for 30 seconds and feel your tush on the seat, hands on the steering wheel, close your eyes and be with your breath. But most of the time, you can spare 30 seconds. Well, another thing, even um, a lady that teaches neonatal resuscitation, she always talks about if you have to resuscitate a baby, the first thing you need to do is Calm feel yourself. your feet on the ground. Wow. Mm-hmm. Feel yourself on the ground. Um, because if you're bringing that to what you're trying to do spastic energy it's not gonna work that's interesting she must be a yogi (laughs) she knows that sometimes (laughs) you just need to take a minute before you start (laughs) yeah doing something you know that's really gonna require a lot of attention and energy but just like you said doing things intentionally is in itself a moving form of meditation yes that has been a game changer for me and even just communicating with other people making a phone call that I don't want to make something that makes me nervous or tense or anxious having a communication with my kids when I'm tired and I'm hungry or like when I'm kind of at that moment taking a deep breath or several deep breaths and feeling my physical body it turns me into a different person a more calm, peaceful, kind human being. And it takes practice. I've been practicing it for so many years that now it takes me like a tenth of a second to get into that mode. But that's been a habit for me for so long. And that's and I, why I preach the habit thing. <laughs> well, and also that a habit can just be 
two minutes of following your breath. Like you cannot, one person who's looking at starting to really implement the four seeds of self-care cannot look at you and think that they're going to go do 10 yoga sessions. It's just not the same. And again, it's back to where we shouldn't be comparing each other, but one small step forward, one small step forward, which is also how you are getting through your grief. Actually, it's funny you say that because someone told me, and I don't remember who, said, put one foot in front of the other. When I was, you know, this was just maybe a day or two after Matt passed. And I was kind of saying, like, how am I going to do this? And they said, you literally take it one step at a time. You put one foot in front of the other, then the next foot you build momentum. Sometimes you take steps back. That is no problem. That is not a cue for you to beat up on yourself. That is not a cue for you to say like, what am I doing? Why can't I do this? And question, you know, drop the why. The why doesn't matter. What do you see out there on the horizon? Where are you going? That's the key. Yeah, that's good. Any other um thoughts or just offerings of hope for someone in your situation? Mm. Um, I think it's important as well for you to reach out to people and ask for help. Um, that's actually the fourth step in this like really beautiful Buddhist, um, I don't know what to call it, I guess it's just a meditative action um, is to actually reach out to people and say, I am suffering. I need your help because oftentimes we don't want to look weak, specifically males in our culture really struggle with this. Um, But being able to reach out to a loved one, even a neighbor, a fam, I mean, anyone, anyone at all. I have actually connected with people who I never even knew before who I could tell they are suffering and I just simply asked them. I think, you know, from day to day, I notice most people are on their cell phones all the time, like standing in line, waiting for things, which, you know, is a great time for meditation, by the way, moving meditation. Um, But my kids always make fun of me because I talk to and connect with like everyone. I'm standing in line. I'm talking to people. I think we've lost so much connection. I'm not going to demonize cell phones. I am using it to record right now. (laughs) (laughs) A time-lapse video for my Instagram. Um, And they do connect and bring a lot of beautiful things. But, um, you know, just being aware of the overuse because you could be standing in line even as an introverted person, which I am not, but as an introverted person or a nervous person, I think it's easier to be able to look at the phone and not connect with people. Even if you don't connect, just being aware of your surroundings. Um, My point is when you're not on your phone and you're looking around and you're like paying attention to other people, you can tell if a person needs like a little, hi, how are you? Or a smile, just kindness kindness, kindness, kindness. And it's also true about developing that ability to ask for help, which is something that as women, we really struggle with. 
in part, that is not self-centered, by the way. You know, just Mm -hmm. because you can do all the things doesn't mean you should or that it's even healthy for you. That is not part of being self-centered. It's actually more self-centered to be able to have the awareness that not only do you need help, but if you ask for help, that you are going to feel better and it's going to be healthier for you. And by the way, you give people the opportunity to be helpful. And people want to be helpful. People want to feel like they have made a difference. They want to show up for other people. Mm -hmm. They just often don't know how or maybe self-conscious about um, what is appropriate. Um, So, yes. Also, just always thinking about that. You know, it's not just about oh, I'm weak because I asked for help. You're giving somebody else the opportunity to be helpful and thus make true connection with another human being, which is what we are ultimately here for. And also we ultimately don't know how long we have to make those connections. Right. And, you know, something you taught me, clear is kind. Hmm. Do you remember that? And that's something Brene Brown taught me. Oh, she did? Oh, I love Brene Brown. Um, So, you know, I have learned to be more direct since my husband passed because he was the direct one. I was the more passive in parenting, in life, whatever. And so I had to take on that role. And at first I was mad and angry at it because I didn't want to be direct. I wanted to float around and just be chill. But now I see how I am so much more balanced because there's a way to be direct that's not in people's faces. To be clear with people, to communicate to them, like, I see that you're suffering. How can I help? And, you know, they might, if they become offended by that, you know, just, I'm so sorry. Or also, please don't do that, or that's not working for me. Yes. And that doesn't make you a bitch. <laughs> exactly. Totally. But I think, you know, being able to develop that clear and direct and kind way of communication. You can be direct and be so loving and kind. It's true. And how other people choose to receive it is their business. That is not our lane. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. If all of us stayed in our lane and focused on our self-care first. Yes. And even, uh, I have struggled with even giving this title Mm. of the podcast self-centered woman because Mm -hmm. you know with christianity we are it's god first Mm -hmm. and it is god first for me and my life Mm. but we can't be in the position to put god first if we are not emotionally physically spiritually doing well for ourselves, and that's actually a scripture make your body the living sacrifice to the lord and how else you know you talk about being a temple Mm -hmm through the four seeds of self-care. So not only can we be more uh, worshipful in whatever way, Mm -hmm. but also for one another. Yes. One thing that I love, and um, I want to end with this, but tell everyone how they can find you, Cassandra, if they would like to book a yoga session with you and um, whatever you would like to offer. Okay. Um, so you can find me at namasteyourlife.com, N-A-M-A-S-T-E. Um, on Instagram, it's namaste.your.life. Um, and if you, you know, want to reach out and connect with me, if you're suffering or just having any issues, I would love to connect with you. Um, 
I do teach yoga on and off the mat, kind of like what we talked about. You can find more information on my website. You can email me. It's Cassandra at namasteyourlife.com, which is on my website. You can DM me on Instagram. Um, ask me any questions. And I would love to offer 25% off a session to anyone listening. Just mention that you heard this episode. I do in-person at my home. I also come to your home or office, and we kind of turn it into like a little beautiful yoga sanctuary for that hour of practice in the Atlanta area. I also do Zoom sessions. Awesome. Thank yes, you. You're welcome. So whenever Cassandra and I finish our kundalini sessions, we have a little song. <laughs> and what's really funny <laughs> is that I did a blessing ceremony, you know, for my daughter. Yes, yes. And I so I totally wanted to sing this song to her. Yeah. And and so a blessing ceremony is when she turned 13, basically honoring her transition into quote unquote womanhood, right? Yes. In other cultures, they have this when, uh, or in religions, right? Like mm -hmm. when the teenager turns 13. Mm -hmm. um, so I wanted to sing this song that we always sing yeah. together. And it's still like a running joke because of course they didn't take it seriously at all. Yeah. Yeah. They just made fun of me. But I take it seriously. Are we about to all sing the this time. song? We are. Oh We're going to do the outro to Longtime Sun, yo. <laughs> Let's do it. Because I feel this. Every time I sing this I song, too. I feel it for myself. Mm -hmm. I feel it for someone who I have lost. Mm -hmm. And like wherever you are, whatever mm -hmm. you're doing, guide your way on. Yes. Like for real, you yeah. know, like. Yeah for my children mm -hmm. when they go off to college for the last time that I ever see a client after helping them with their birth you know mm -hmm. it has so many meanings mm -hmm. and it's so special to me so I hope you all find it special as well beautiful ready let's do it okay are we going to like rub our hands together and create some heat like we do in kundalini a deep breath press your thumbs into your heart space allow your energy to settle let's take a big deep breath and begin may the long time sun shine upon you all love surround you and the pure light within you Guide your way on, guide your way on, guide your way on. Yay, Satnam, Satnam. Namaste, Namaste, yo. Namaste. Thank you, friend. Thank you.